to Mojo for the Modern Man. This is your host, Ken Mossman, and today I'm delighted to be joined for Act 2 of my conversation with author, podcast host, and public speaker, David Morales. Uh, David shares in Act 2 what his life was like after he moved from Puerto Rico to Lynn, Massachusetts. And I'm not going to necessarily say culture shock, because he doesn't use that language, but it was, well, let me put it this way. He had some adjusting to do. David shares the stories about his first days in a new school, about the challenges of getting there, by the way, uh, about his really formative experience in high school, particularly with his high school coach, a fellow by the name of David Dempsey, with whom David is still in close contact. And some great stories of his college years as well. And like every other episode, there's a whole lot more to the story, and I don't want to throw out too many spoilers here, but it's it's a it's a good one. Let me put it that way. Quick reminder, if you have not yet, please subscribe to Mojo for the Modern Man on your favorite podcasting service. And with that, let's dive into the second half of Very Rich Conversation with David Morales. Enjoy. David Morales, great to have you back for the second half of our conversation here on Mojo for the Modern Man. Thank you so much. Thanks, Ken. Ready, uh, ready, willing, and able, and honored to be here. So let's let's take a let's take a trip to to Lynn, Massachusetts, and and walk us through how you landed there, how old you were, et cetera. Sure thing. So one of my family and I came to Lynn, Massachusetts, I was roughly 11, 12 years old. And it was like landing um, in Beverly Hills. I don't know that I remember I used to watch the show Beverly Hills Hillbillies when I was like in Puerto Rico in Spanish. And it was literally like that. We came back we here. Sorry, we land here and we drive like my father picked us up in a Ford Pinto, baby blue, by the way, one of the worst cars ever made by Ford. Um, and it's all he could afford. So we pack ourselves into this four pinto and we get to this like triple decker. It was all everywhere was cement everywhere. And he park, we park, we get to this triple decker. And I think I'm looking at like the, the, the skyscraper, one of the skyscrapers in New York, like the empire state building, like, wow. Um, and I honestly thought we were millionaires. It was like, man, we've, we made it. And so, um, Lynn at the time was had one of the highest crime rates per square foot in America. It was and continues to be very low income community. They call it a gateway city in Massachusetts, meaning very urban, uh, um, high penetration of, of ethnic and racial populations. Um, and that's what I landed in. And so what I didn't realize until the next day was, boy, this place uh, looks pretty different from Puerto Rico, number one. And number two, there are a lot of people um, that look like me here, you know, brown, black, et cetera, and they don't speak Spanish. <laughs> this yeah. is a whole different world, boy. And uh, yeah, a lot of violence. And we landed definitely in a different world. And what, when you, and I'm trying to recall from the, from the book also, uh, you 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 landed and it was almost immediately started school. Is that accurate? That's correct. Yeah. 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 That's so correct. We uh we uh we had to t- we had to walk 
I tell the story in, in the book, but we had to, my mother and I had to walk to um, register for me to register at, into school. And uh, that walk was enlightening. That walk uh, about several mile walk, but early on in that walk, about two blocks from my house, we started getting rocks thrown at me and my mother. And uh, that was my welcome, welcome to America. <laughs> and the, what was, what did you take from that experience, from that quote unquote, welcome to America? What did you, you know, I, I, the, the, what I remember is in the book and frankly, it was a feeling of helplessness. I couldn't, mm. I couldn't define my mother. That was my first reaction. Um, and I talk about that in the book, you know, a gentleman jumped off somewhere. I mean, God put this guy in, in, in the right place at the right time. And big dude with a big bandana. I remember it like today at a, a USA flag. I actually, years later, I tried to find that gentleman and I've never been able to find him, but I remember his face very vividly. And um, anyway, thank, thank God he was there. It stopped it all. The kids ran and whatever. But um, the feeling of helplessness was deep. And I still remember that. Um, looking back on it, Ken, and again, as I thought about the book, writing the book, et cetera, it was yet another lesson for me to take on and say, God, I need to be ready. Exactly what Dan and Winter telling me and getting me ready for, I have to be ready to survive in the streets. And, and when did the, when did the, aside from that, when did the first fight hit you in, 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 on, in Lynn? Yeah, that was, well, in school or out of school. In school, it was the first week. Yeah. Yeah, first week. That was, a, it was, um, it was a school. I was, uh, and, for, and the funny part was, um, and at some point, if we talk about race and ethnicity, <laughs> here I am, a Puerto Rican American, and I'm being uh, pushed around by two Dominicans, right, who look, for all intents and purpose, when you step out of the race and, and ethnicity, uh, cultural wars we have going on, we have more in common than we don't. And here I am like, wait, we talk Spanish. What are you doing? Um, but ironically, here's two guys that we should have a lot more in common and they're picking on me. It was shocking to me. Um, and, and later that same day, another kid who happened to be Dominican as well, David Medrano, still, I think he's still around, um, came up to me and said, hey, look, got, you got to be ready here. Got to be, you got to fight. You can't let yourself be pushed. You got to hit. Um, but anyway, the point is that it was the first week. It was all the first week was a blur, but we had a lot. There was several physical altercations in, on my street and two at school this, the first week. Wow. Yeah. That is a lot. So, and you were, you were 11, 12 years old at the time. Yes. Yeah. What had you? turn and it may have happened before you got to Lynn but what what was it that that really had you turn and focus on uh on on studying on academics yeah so i had this like i call it a double life um i i i, I was on the streets a lot and i was a very different person on the street it was almost like a survival tough guy mode and then at home, I knew I had to be a good son. My mm. parents were working two plus jobs. Um, I cannot, I, I literally fear letting my parents down. That was my number one fear in life outside of trying to get out of poverty. 
um, at the time, it was my parents. If I ever let my parents down, that's just totally going to crush them. And it's probably going to devastate me. I can't do that. And so my mother, who play, still plays a big role in my life, was always pushing me to do better in school. Always. You have to have a uh, a grace. Everyone's watching you. You have to do better, blah, blah, blah. And so I, I, I have had that, um, you know, push from my mother and encouragement my entire life still do. You have to do better. You have to speak English. Well, you can't have an accent. You have to get A's. You can't get any B's. That was my mother. And so at home, I had that all the time. How'd you do in school today? Blah, 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 do better. Um, so that was always a factor. Now, Frankly, when I really, really, really became academically sound, I'll call it, was frankly in college. Yeah. That's when I that's when David Morales really turned toward a very intense focus on personal, academic, educational, critical thinking improvement. And you talk about that a lot in the book and having that, but let's let's not rush let's not rush too fast in yeah. that direction. We'll get there, uh, time allowing. Um High school. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> what is uh, yep. that laugh, David? <laughs> uh, high school. High school is uh, high school is fun. I had a lot of fun in high school. <laughs> <laughs> I did. Yep. And you talk. You you talk a, a lot in the book. By the way, that the, the t- title of the book is American Familia: A Memoir of Perseverance. Um. You talk a lot about uh, in the book about I think I think for me anyway the the double life that you were leading really became much more much more vivid uh, in the in the chapters on high school and um, yeah I, let's start with let's start with Coach Dempsey because initially you paint him in a in a in a light where he's 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 introduced as a character who's. Uh, pretty challenging and 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 perhaps for some downright scary and yet huge influence yeah david dempsey uh still in my life is one of the most important and remarkable men or people in general i have ever met here is this um irish american who grew up in one of the poorest areas of Lynn, Massachusetts in the 60s and 70s to a mother who was a veteran, a single mother of several children in a very tough city in America Park, a really tough area of Lynn at the time, uh, projects, um, who dedicated his life to uh, bluntly rescuing uh, low-income, white, black, Hispanic kids um, and getting them in the right footing, right, toward a better future. And I, I'm proud to say I'm one of Dempsey's kids. Um, and so Coach Dempsey, you know, recruited, always looked around for tough kids for his football team. And uh, I am honored and blessed to have God have put him in my life at the right time. He's the one that essentially, um, despite his rigidity, toughness, and discipline, which frankly we all needed at the time, mm. um, he became a pillar of um, direction uh and mentorship at a time where i needed it desperately yeah i'm I'm curious because and and again this is based on an assumption david so push back on this because again initially in the book you describe in a way that 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 um you know again i use the word kind of scary okay or very scary depending on your point of view 
And, and, and at some point, it becomes clear that there was a shift from, from fear to, to a deep respect. And, and w- 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 as you look back at your history with Coach Dempsey, when did that shift actually happen? Yeah, it's a good question. I, I frankly, I can't really recall, but the closer, the closer he and I became, the more it shifted. And it probably started around the middle of my sophomore year. My freshman year, he, he was the head coach of the entire team. I had a freshman coach. It was a disaster. But my sophomore year, I came in really differently to the team. Very tough. I had, I, I, I had my one year under me. And year two, I came in stronger and more aggressive. And he started taking notice, right? He started taking notice. And by the middle of my sophomore year, Coach Dempsey started getting closer to me to say, look, here's what we're going to do with you. There was another gentleman named Coach Alakudo did the same thing. Um, and, and then by my junior year, when I was um, honored and blessed to be one of the better players on the team, uh, out of many, by the way, they were just incre- it was an incredible team. I was on my junior and senior in high school. Uh, Coach Dempsey and I got, became very close. Um, and I would say that's when it really started. By my senior year, it was done. He was somebody I just admired and respected very much. And you said he's still in your life, so you're in touch with him? We still talk probably at least once or twice a month, yes. Wow, wow, beautiful, yeah. beautiful. Yeah, he's a wonderful human being, yeah. And I think we're going to end up skipping some skipping some chapters here. Yeah, there's, there's another. You know, the other. Well, there's another. There's another uh, question that I'm. Uh, there's another piece that I'm really curious about. Of course, the 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 woman, a girl, then who would eventually become your wife. Yeah. <laughs> no. Well, I may have just thrown out a spoiler, but that's okay. The book is still <laughs> worth reading. <laughs> and and this you don't go into in the book but your relationship to her father another another man that you describe in no <laughs> uncertain terms as a scary dude <laughs> oh yeah yeah oh man look so first of all my my wife is my my pillar she is she is the the ultimate blessing for our entire family our entire family she is uh and i'm talking about everyone is blessed to have some man in their lives across our entire family she's just she's a blessing from god um, so I, I, I didn't get into the story of after high school, uh, after college, uh, we didn't want to go there, but I'll give you a quick story. Her father was in the military in Dominican Republic during what I call the semi post dictatorial government of Balaguer, uh, post Trujillo. And, uh, his name is Cesar Cavallo. He's a wonderful human being now. He's 80 plus years old now. But when I went to ask for Samantha's hand in marriage, he met me at the airport in his military garb, a handgun on his hip. And uh, as soon as I step off the plane, I get I start walking down the, the lane. He takes off his military cap and he you know, stands in attention. And uh, he didn't say a word. And I said, you know, I greeted him in Spanish and he didn't say a word. He just pulled out his hand to see how firm I was going to shake his hand. So, you know, I'm a pretty big kid still at the time. And I shook his hand really firm and he looks me up and down and he, he goes, Follow me. <laughs> that was my first meeting him. And I was like, oh boy, I'm in for a tough one. But uh, he, he is a wonderful guy. Very, very wonderful. And, and where was that? You had to fly to where to, to meet him? 
Dominican Republic. I flew oh. to Dominican Republic to ask for her hand in marriage. Absolutely. That's how you did it. That was our traditional culture. The man has to ask for the hand in marriage um, before you do anything. That is the first step you must take. Wow. Yeah, wow. absolutely. <laughs> yeah. you, you also told, uh, again, you know, these, there, was, there were so many good good uh, uh, stories in, in, within the, the book itself. But you also described the the visit, you know, uh, Samantha's visit to, to 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 you at college and the um, <laughs> and the instance of you about to go out to breakfast <laughs> with your buds, <laughs> where you received a uh, 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 an edumacation, shall we say? <laughs> oh man. Well, that, that's a really fun part of the book, but uh, we had this thing in college and I, I hope, I, again, I'm no longer this person, but back then we had this thing in college where the, fella, the fellas would say, you know, bros, bros before bras, right? And um, oh boy, Samantha changed all that. <laughs> Samantha was like, no, 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 not here. <laughs> and uh, man, I, I learned a very valuable lesson that day. So what was the lesson? Uh, essentially, if I was actually going to start getting serious about a woman, I better start paying attention to the woman, right? And their relationship, her, her mindset, uh, a collaborative and mutual respect. Uh, there were many lessons she taught me that in literally one minute, uh, scenario. So that part is worth reading. Yeah. And, uh, sage lessons well worth paying attention to, (laughs) dare I say. So you mentioned, and again, you had a cast of characters and uh, that you describe in uh, in so many uh, beautiful ways in in your in your many stories in the book. And you know, one of the things that that I say over and over and over again in the work that I do is that no man does it alone. No man does it alone. And whether it was your friends, Coach Dempsey, your teachers, the the young woman that you connected with when you realized that you needed some 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 peer tutoring, you know, yeah. in that in that first year of school, you know, what say a word or two about what you've learned about um, asking for help and the importance of taking that step. Wow. Yeah, I think that, so there's two big, big uh, pieces here you brought up, Ken. The first one is asking for help. You know, my father taught me to be an independent person and I had to figure things out on my own. You do, don't worry, don't wait for anyone. Just figure it out. I mean, it's it's a principle I lived by for a long time, but it hurt me. Yeah. In college, it was going to hurt me. And I had to ask for help. And frankly, it, it was like weights being lifted off my shoulder. When I started getting help from people like Curly Roseman, who was one of the smartest people I've ever met in my life. Uh, she was my age. She was my peer. But boy, she was smart, still is. She's a lawyer. And she sat me down and walked me through how to read, how to study, how to think critically. She was a powerful force of nature God put in my life. Um, so yes, ask for help. Um, no one, no one knows everything. I don't care who it is. Right. I don't care who, anyone. No one knows it all. So, oh, it's okay to ask for help. And by the way, I have learned in my career that the people who ask questions are t- always, largely always the smartest in the room. 
learn to ask good questions and ask for help. And then the second piece you're raising is your network, right? I never understood how powerful a network God was putting around me from high school to college to professional life. But I have always surrounded myself, A, with smarter people and B, older people. Smarter always because I I continue to learn daily. And if I can learn from people, I want to surround myself with them. And number two, older, because I love to learn from experience. And I ask deep questions about, Ken, how did that go for you? What decisions did you make that could have been different, result in different outcome, et cetera? So the network that you surround yourself with is just as critically powerful as how you intentionally come to problems and ask for help or questions. Yeah. Yeah, beautiful. Well said. And 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 I'm going to ask you as again as we're as we're wrapping up uh, Act Two here, um, you know, maybe for someone who is 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 coming to terms with the fact that you know uh, this independence thing sure sounds like a good idea, but I'm noticing that I'm kind of running out of runway here, and it. You know, another impact of it is is that it can be lonely. You didn't describe that at all in, in in the book, by the way. Again, because it was so focused on family, so it was always that system of support. But I'm but I'm curious, where would you point someone to, you know, to just kind of crack that last bit of armor, assumed armor, that, you know, to to make it okay to 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 ask for the kind of help that doesn't, by the way do away with one's independence, but actually create space for interdependence? Yeah, that's that's a powerful question, Ken. You know, I guess my immediate reaction is every one of us has to come to that place differently because every one of us has different levels of ego, of pride, et cetera. Um, I guess there were three suggestions that I would make off the top of my head. The first one is... Um, the first thing I always do is go to my Bible and ask for, you know, Christ's guidance. So, you know, that that's, that's always my, my first option. The second one is, uh, ask or read about information about humility, about, uh, servant, humble leadership, et cetera. What does that actually mean? And typically you'll, you'll learn that it means you have to serve others and you have to ask questions and understand someone else's position. Uh, to help inform your position or to help inform your approach to situations. Um, One particular book I can think of is a book called uh, Leadership in the Shadows by Kyle Lamb. He has a a small chapter dedicated to servant leadership and what that actually means. Um, It means, yeah, you're going to have to raise your hand a lot to say, wait, time out. What did you mean by that? Wait, how how can I do that? Uh, You're going to have leaders should ask for help. Leaders are not leaders, right? Leaders are not leaders unless they're serving others and helping others become better versions of themselves. So we have to ask for help too, if you're a quote unquote so-called leader. And then the third suggestion I would make is critically think about what you think your weaknesses are. You know, my exercise at least twice a year is how can I get better? Twice a year, I spend time by myself for a couple of hours is how can I improve? Where do I need help and assistance to take a next step as a father, as a professional, as a servant of Christ? And I literally have notes. This is what I'm weak on. And then I start asking people that I love or care for, hey, look, can we have a coffee and talk about this? Um, That introspective approach is one that I have found to be very useful for me. Yeah, beautiful and well said. 
David Morales, it has been an absolutely delight spending time with you. I have, uh, I think, probably a thousand other questions I could ask you right now, and and we're out of time. So thank you. It, thank you. Any last words before we part company here? Thank you, Ken. Nothing. Only to say that I'm honestly humbled and honored to be a guest on uh, your podcast, uh, and I wish all the best for you. So thank you very much for having me on today. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining me, Ken Mossman, and of course, my guest, David Morales, here on Mojo for the Modern Man. And if you listen to Act 2 today and you didn't listen to Act 1, their stories are, are just as good in Act 1. I'd encourage you to go back to, to listen because David does tell a very, very good story. The title of David's book is American Familia, and you can find links to his website and to his podcast, of course, and to the book as well on the intro notes for today's show. Invitation, if you have not yet, please come by my website, KenMossman.com will get you there. Check out what I've got going on by way of classes. You can... Subscribe to my weekly writings, and of course, you can find every episode of Mojo for the Modern Man on the site as well. A quick shout out of thanks to Carly Farrar and Megan Johnson at Knack and Company. Carly for her copywriting expertise, and Megan for keeping me on the straight and narrow and making sure that organization and me are able to show up in the same place at the same time. And of course, Gratitude to Josh Hines for his sound editing expertise. Next week, I will be joined by Tim Sekou, and we're going to take a plunge not only into his story, but he'll also uh, share his experience in the realms of plant medicine and so much more. And with that, be well, take care, make it a great day, and we'll see you back here soon on Mojo for the Modern Man.